think I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about how they just turned 30 and they're like, man, as uh, when I was 29, there was so much pressure, you know, about like, man, I'm almost 30. But then once they got to 30, they're like, oh, this is just more of the same. And being 34, I feel like I'm still in my 20s. And I feel like this is just an extension <laughs> of my 20s. How about you guys? I mean, yeah, there's some, I think there's something to be said about both feeling that way and phys- and physically being that way. Because uh, I remember a buddy of mine from high school, he, uh, like one of the only friends that I, I have left from high school, you know how it is. Um, uh, hey, I took this test and it, it, it told me what my, how old my DNA is or, or, or how old I am physically. And I thought, that's a really cool thing. I want to check that out and see, you know, sometimes it's just right on the money, sometimes a little bit, you know, older, sometimes younger. And so I think that there's something about that physically, but but yeah, feeling wise, I don't know. Like I've, I've met a lot of people when I worked for Apple, um, you know, at the retail store, there was lots of, I would, I would get to meet all sorts of people. I think that was my favorite part of it. And I met, I met so many older people and they know they don't know at all. Just that, that notion of, of staying young and, and seeing that youthfulness, even in the eyes of, of older people, you see these videos on Instagram with, with folks dancing and stuff. And I think that that's so it's so endearing and it's just a, um, a testament to sort of that beginner's mind. And, and I don't know, I feel as, as we get older, I, we're, we're trying so much to tap back into who we once were, you know, who we, who we knew ourselves to be then. And then kind of the world came in and it's, it's beautiful, bro. Where you, every you know, how am I supposed to follow up after that? <laughs> you don't, it's just, we, ch- we chilling. I mean, it's, it's funny how like there's this, um, there's this feeling of people, I think, you, Eric, you're kind of mentioning of how, you know, it, it's all about experiences and younger people could have experienced something that I've never experienced yet. Uh, so it's hard to say, you know, where I'm at compared to somebody else. And I know with me, just raising a family. And so I know through the eyes of being, you know, a, a, a husband and a, a father, it's very uh, youthful to see my kids how I used to act and how <laughs> their, their, how this their day to day and their adventures that they go through, and I just remember those moments. So it makes me it brings me back down to not acting. You know, I'm 38, so I don't feel 30. I still feel easily in my 20s. Same, right? Yeah. So it, it, it was just it was just like it was just like a moment ago how I felt like I was I was 28 and now I'm 38. I'm like, what the hell? But now all my like sister in laws they're in their twenties. And I remember when they were in their teens. So like, they just, they give me a lot of like, Hey, Eddie, you know, I need Eddie's opinion. Everyone has their path. And I, I, it's beautiful to see life. Dude, that's awesome. That's such a cool perspective because what it sounds like is that their youthfulness is helping keep yourself youthful as well, right? Like you're youthful in spirit and body and mind and all that stuff. But also at the same time, you're maturing. Now you have to take care of these people and you're thinking about these things that you wouldn't otherwise if you hadn't had kids. Yep. Yeah. A lot of these, I mean, I don't want to keep harping on it, but a lot of these movies that I, if there's always a parent involved in the movie, I never looked at it through the parent's eyes compared to, I don't know, like Home Alone. I laughed so much at the parents or any of the adults, <laughs> you know, with some lights. It's just so many little things that just drove past my head at that time. And now it, it hits you mm-hmm. differently. And how you, I would react if I, that, you know, happens to me nowadays. It's just funny how, you know, we can, we can watch something when we were young and we can watch the same thing now and we can experience it completely different. Thank mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. you. Yeah. On that note, we mobbing it. Let's mob it. Let's mob it. I like that. <laughs>
How you doing, everybody? Welcome to Affliction Oz Podcast, episode 35. Available wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, 5 a.m. Pacific. You might be able to find us on uh, YouTube as well at Affliction Oz Podcast. Please give us a like and subscribe. If anyone is interested, we also have merch. You can find the links down in the descriptions of our episodes. My name is Eric, and the other voices occupying your head this time are a man of many trades, philosopher, charmer, my good friend, colleague, and co-host, Michael. How do you do? And we have a very special guest joining us from the insanely popular podcast, Three and a Half Gentlemen, where they expertly curate and pair a cocktail with every movie or show they cover. Please join us in welcoming our possibly biological brother, Eddie. (laughs) Oh, wow. What's going on? (laughs) Here on Affliction Hours Podcast, we mainly talk about films that range from mind-numbing to mind-blowing. We also covered TV shows and other forms of media. Of course, we will be getting into spoilers here, and there will be only the healthiest amount of expletives tossed in. You have been warned. If you ain't ready, then get ready, because in this episode, we'll be discussing the wild and quirky crime drama Pulp Fiction, released in 1994, directed by Quentin Tarantino, the master himself, Tarantino. (laughs) Nice. My favorite director. How about you guys? Where does he rank for you guys? Top five. Yeah, I would say, mm, yeah, top five, maybe even top three. Yeah, he's up there. It's hard to, uh, I won't say I, I like a lot of his earlier stuff, right? So it was. It's, it's hard not to like any of his stuff, really, to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not so much the, the later stuff, the more recent stuff. It just kind of feels different. It feels different. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like he hit his prime in the 90s. Oh, he yeah. Was, he was early. You know, for me personally, he hit his prime in the '90s, and I mean, still he comes every once in a while. He hits like a like, oh, that was a great movie. But I feel like his hits were in the '90s, um, personally. Yeah, a lot of people they I, I think they think that uh, Reservoir Dogs was like one of their favorite movies. But for me, I actually didn't like it that much. I I respect it for being his very first movie. It was very well made for a rookie director like him. Very low budget. What he was able to do with that movie with basically like pocket change, you know, for a budget. But um, man, he did a fucking fantastic job. It doesn't seem like it was a super low budget film. And um, he he made the most of it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was seven when it came out, so I wasn't allowed to watch You're it. You're not for, the demographic. You know, so, yeah, so was it? You know, I understand why my parents didn't want me to watch that movie. And then even to this day, my brother, he's five years older than I am. And my brother, I mean, he's like, dude, before you watch this movie, like, just be prepared. Like, there's anything, anything's on the table. Yeah, and even Pulp Fiction. So that gave me an idea. I watched this one before I had to go back to his, uh, you know, 92 classic right, right. so I, I i personally think i mean this movie i, I think i was I'll probably 12 when i watched this the first time i snuck in when i was 12 i probably shouldn't have watched it but i watched it so. <laughs> did you enjoy it then did you understand it uh did not understand none of it <laughs> no nope. I, I enjoyed parts of you know samuel L. jackson i enjoyed every scene he was in how can you not younger. honestly right? he, he kind of steals yeah. every scene he's in What's his name in here? Uh, Jules. Jules, yeah. Perfect that's right. name too, Jules. Like, that's the best name, Jules. Yeah. He's the crowning jewel of this movie. Um, a little background for Pulp Fiction. This was the first film that Miramax fully financed. So they had that much uh, confidence Whoa. in the movie. And uh, I guess, you know, this was uh, Weinstein. So um, I think he had that good relationship, that good rapport with Tarantino. So 
they took it under their wing and fully financed it. And growing up, I always wondered, like, what the hell is this title? So I, I definitely wanted to look it up and just see what the explanation was for Pulp Fiction, because it's out of all of his movies, I felt like this is one of the weirder ones, right? <laughs> the title refers to the Pulp magazines, which were inexpensive fiction magazines around the late 1800s to mid 1900s, and uh, hard-boiled crime fiction novels that were um, literary genres focusing mainly on detective or noir fiction in the early 1900s. So that's kind of what it's referencing. I guess a notable quality for those genres, they're known for punchy dialogue and graphic violence, which this movie has a lot of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Now, I mean, this movie has a fucking awesome cast, so I'm just going to quickly go down. I've already mentioned Samuel Jackson as Jules Winfield, John Travolta as Vincent Vega, Uma Thurman as Mia Wallace, what, what, Ving Rams as Marcellus Wallace, <laughs> Bruce Willis as Butch Coolidge, uh, the dude Bruce Willis, Harvey Keitel as Winston Wolf or the Wolf, Tim Roth as Pumpkin, Amanda Plummer as Honey Bunny, Eric Stoltz as Lance, Rosanna Arquette as Jody, and Christopher Walken as Captain Coons. <laughs> God, he's amazing. I always forget. Every movie he's been, he's been in so many movies. Yeah, I always forget that he's in this movie, and they're like, "Oh yeah, he's there." He is. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I always forget that he's in the movie until he pops up in that little cameo, and I'm just like, "Oh, here we go, Christopher Walken, man, this gold watch." <laughs> Another uh, cool thing about Pulp Fiction too is that it resurrected two actors' careers. You know, John Travolta was kind of fallen off. And uh, so was Bruce Willis after Die Hard. So he was just kind of like stuck in limbo. He wasn't doing much of anything. And so um, mm -hmm. once both of them came on board, they did an awesome job. John Travolta had so much screen time. It was it felt like it was really his opportunity, make or break for sure. Coming off of uh, yeah. Look Who's Talking, you know, and I grew up loving that movie. But I but really like that movie. He was... A lot of people shit on it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> this movie has a stellar cast. I mean, you have Tim Roth, too. Just like, I, I feel like he's one of uh, Quentin's favorite characters to cast or something at this time. I don't know. And then you have Uma, like, who, who she's super young in this movie, right? She is. Yeah. She looks really young. Yeah, like, she, she's, she was awesome. This is like, I don't know if this, this is not her first movie, but she was definitely, after this, she was just like, oh, this is, you know, obviously Kill Bills. So she's like, okay, this this Uma is here to stay. Yeah. I thought she did a great job. I did too. Yeah. This is such a uh, motley crew of characters, you know? And I think that's what is so awesome about this movie is that you just have a bunch of these people that have basically nothing to do with each other, but they somehow mm. come across each other's paths, you know? And it just, everything just kind of turns to shit. Uh, but it's so entertaining. It's kind of like he brings them up and introduces the question where it's kind of like, why, uh, it's in it's in the back of your mind. Why why did he show me these people? You know, you wait a long time. <laughs> you wait till the end of the movie. Even something. the intro, you're like, who the fuck are these people? <laughs> yeah, exactly. For like who the fuck minutes. are these people? Right. And we're hearing their entire dialogue of setting this whole thing up, and then you don't see them until well, very end. Mm -hmm. I don't remember movies like this before this movie, so I want to say this was ahead of its time with jumping around. Originally, when I first watched it a couple times, I was lost. You know, I was just like, wait, what happened before? I have to, you have to keep watching this movie to understand where, you know, every, every character just fall into place at the right time. He's almost training the audience to get comfortable with the style, like get used to it because I'm going to be doing a lot more of this. And it, I think it started <laughs> out being just something different. 
something to stand out from the crowd. And then it became his signature thing in his movies. We they had done it before, maybe nonlinear had been done before, but just not to that effect. It was just it really did hook you. And it certainly for me kind of begged the question, like, what? Why? Why this way? What was he? What information was he trying to reveal at this time? How he kind of he wanted the story to unfold a certain way. I wonder if had we seen it originally in chronological order, would we hate the nonlinear storytelling or do we prefer the nonlinear storytelling because that's how we originally saw it? Does it really add that much more to the story? I do think it does. It makes it almost there's some comical areas of it, too, in like what the hell's going on now? Like, oh my God, this is how it happened. <laughs> like, oh, like, you know, uh, what's Bruce Willis, Butch? <laughs> Just like, hell of a day, Butch. <laughs> Emphasis on hell. <laughs> yeah. Hell of a day. Hell of a day. And then, Jules, and then Jules and Vincent just over here, you know, you almost get a, like a liking to Vincent a little bit and, and Jules. And then you're like, oh God, this is, happens when Jules and Vincent, they're not like a, they're almost like working together today on this on this job and they're not actually always working together they're sometimes different jobs so you know so it got me thinking like i i like this way how it's supposed to be i feel like if it was the way it was supposed to be like time uh mm -hmm. chronological order yeah that's what i was thank you i feel like it would not hit as good you know, it definitely it took everyone by surprise personally. Yeah, you know, actually, now that you mention it, I do feel like it's it's kind of cool because a lot of these scenes, they keep you hanging. They build the anticipation because it's like, hold that thought, put a pin in that. We'll be back. <laughs> yeah. But jump over here for a second. Let's tell a little bit of the story and then we'll come back to it. <laughs> and it adds to the ride, honestly, because it's, it's just the ebbs and flows, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting how he still, he, he, he is able to pace it so well with so many disparate pieces being put together. You know, mm -hmm. it's like the pacing is fantastic. To me, it doesn't feel like a two hour long movie. It was, it was smooth. I was gonna say this, this is where he definitely Quentin Tarantino knocks it out of the park, right? Like with the pacing, like I feel like some of those other movies, it definitely, I mean, I don't know, something about this movie, he, he found the right pacing. Some of the other movies, it felt like it was rushed or it was too slow. This one, it, it was just like you, you almost forgot about time when you watched this movie. You were just watching, it felt like I was reading the book almost mm -hmm. watching this movie, if that made sense. I don't mm -hmm. know. No, I get you. Um, another thing I wanted to mention really quick with this movie is that this film has no score composed for it. So Tarantino hmm. instead went with an eclectic assortment of uh, surf rock, rock and roll, soul, and pop songs. And what I was playing earlier was Dick Dale's uh, Miserloo, which is used for the opening credits. Ah, yes. 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 The classic Dick Dale, king of surf guitar. When you hear that song, you think of this movie. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny that that can be that, that that would be the case. When else would you really be listening to like Dick Dale music? Seriously, yeah. <laughs> he perpetuated this. He gave Dick Dale like the hugest boost because people will always associate it with that. That's exactly it. They'll hear it and they'll go Pulp Fiction. They're not going to go, oh, '60s surf rock. <laughs> <laughs> now we uh, begin with the opening, which I guess could be considered the prologue. I don't know if it actually has like a, a chapter name, but I just wrote prologue in the notes. But yeah, thank you for the notes. That's what I'm looking at right now. I was like, this is, 
I don't get detailed notes like this for <laughs> mm. our episodes. Well, I appreciate this. Yeah. No, I, actually, I, it definitely helps me because a lot of times I'll forget like where things happened in the movie oh, yeah. or like what I was talking about. So it, these are just kind of like bullet points of like, you know, the major events that happened in the movie. Yeah. So yeah, we got a couple. Um, they're at a diner just uh, enjoying breakfast. You know, it seems like a lovely couple. They kind of mm. uh, refer to themselves by pet names, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. And I, I really loved this opener because it, it's kind of like this conversation that could easily be a throwaway. Like if you're not paying attention to it, you're like, whatever, you know, let's get to the good stuff. But um, I actually this time around, I was really engaged in their conversation because there it, it goes from like something that seems like it's it's going to be fairly normal to like, oh, shit, they're they're straight up talking about like robbing places. <laughs> they're yeah. past robbery. Yeah. yeah, you started thinking like, oh, these are actually bad people. That's crazy. And they're just talking so casually, openly in this diner. Openly, you know? You're right, right, right. Not a care in the world. We rob liquor stores, but we gotta, we gotta move up. And you know, the the next natural step would be like rob banks, right? But how about this? How about we rob diners? And she was just like, "Well, what the? Why the fuck would you ever rob a diner?" And and he, Tim Roth's character, uh, Pumpkin, like he goes into this whole detail, and his reasoning actually makes pretty damn good sense, you know, to me same i'm like yeah she's, i felt like her i'm like of course you're gonna yeah you were convinced huh i was convinced yeah. i was just like damn i guess i need to start robbing diners too is that what's going on here <laughs> they all have wallets right makes you also think like god should i pay attention to the conversations around me at a diner that's a good often? point that's like, a good point yeah you know so they were just casually talking about this and i was just thinking like can you imagine just like you're right next and you just you hear it like wait I mean, diners are, are a lost commodity too. I mean, like you just don't see diners anymore like mm -hmm. this. So this, I mean, mm -hmm. this makes it throw back to the the whole like diners and the chicken and waffles and open 24 hours. Like yeah, it, you, you get, you know, back in the day, Denny's isn't Denny's anymore nowadays, but you know, those, there was better diners back then. And this is, I think everyone probably went to a diner thinking they were going to be safe to have some breakfast, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of waffles or pancakes. And it's just, I mean, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny were on to something, right? I mean, <laughs> it makes you think, like, yeah, why would I rob a bank? Like, that's so, like... <laughs> that's so last year. Yeah, it's last year. It's more safe to rob a diner. Yeah. You know, it's easier. I mean, well, last time you guys were in a diner, did you ever feel unsafe? Like, did you think, like, oh, shit, you know, I better keep my wallet close to me. Someone might shank me for it. Like, you know, you feel comfortable. It's like a family setting. Right. Yeah. yeah. The last time I was in a diner, I was in New York. And I was... Yeah, safe. It was over by Times Square, so it was, you know, different type of diner out there, right? A lot of people, so I, of course I felt safe out there. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. that is a great point, though, because when you think of diners now, like what options do you have? It's basically Denny's, Norms, oh, or IHOP. Yeah, like point. that's it. IHOP. Yep, good those point. are. It. Yeah. You don't have Caro. I think it used to be back in the day. Used to be Marie Marie Callender's. I don't. There know. is one. There's one in Riverside, and I do want to try that Marie Callender's before it it kicks the oh. bucket. Yep. And, and the food may suck, for all I know, but at least I can say I've been to a Marie Callender's at least once. Or there was a there was there was a diner over in Corona that was called Honey's, and it reminded me the way this whole uh, setting of the movie of how the entrance. I was like, oh my god, this is filmed in Honey and in, in Corona. This is Honey's. Hmm. So it was like the whole old school vibe. Yeah, I I, if, I recommend you if you guys are ever in Corona, try Honey's out. Um, 
and it's it's it get you get the vibe of uh old school diner nice okay honeys on top of this like crazy conversation they're having out out in the open and uh what's he call uh the the waitress he's like garçon garçon whatever that means boy (laughs) (laughs) he's like whatever um but then it's like it's weird because in between him ordering food or or whatever like a refill from her then they just decide on a whim right you know what let's just let's fucking rob this place right now you down you down? all right let's let's mob it you know that's mob it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. And then the title card hits. So again, yeah. see, that's they're like introducing the story. And then it just cuts away. <laughs> and it just like immediately cuts away, like right at the uh, the peak of it. And you're just like, what 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 the fuck? What the hell he is literally this? cuts on action. Right, yeah. right. You know, and that's 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 what you we were taught in, in uh when I was in video production school. You cut on action, right? Which is something that's just kind of commonplace now when you see Instagram videos and you see these people change their dress, right? You know, women would change their clothes and they throw the clothes on the ground and it's when you cut on action, we lose things in the frames, right? And so we as humans, we don't, we just, we, we it, it's easy. It's kind of like easier boom, transitions. Close the door, open the door. Like those are those kind of transitions where the person closes the door and immediately opens it and they're like dressed and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but like he cuts on action, but it's funny because he cuts on action right when you're right at the height of it. It's you're like, like freeze frame. Oh, you like, motherfuckers oh. move, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'll carry us motherfucking one of you. Uh. But it's crazy. Too, that... plumber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, she's, she's a character too. What I also liked about it. I like the graininess because it was done on film and I like the, uh, the fact that when he, he does it, everything else is in sync with her lips but but there's a certain point where it it, it freeze frames on her and the, she's still saying a few w- more words but it's like he chose the frame that just looks the most m- fucking menacing it's just like ah, and the gun in her face and it's just like ah it's great pulp fiction isn't supposed to be fancy by any means i think even has a low budget but i mean the, the title says it all you know it's supposed to just be a bunch of these like violent stories just thrown together it's not going to be flashy or anything like that. And even the title card, you know, it's it's just like this basic ass font slides up from the bottom of the screen. And it's like Pulp Fiction and it just stays there. And it like it almost like drifts away slowly. Right. <laughs> you can make any of this stuff in like Windows Movie Maker. <laughs> but um, I just feel like the logo is iconic at this point. The orange lettering with like the red kind of drop shadow in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I mentioned this in one of our past episodes, but our Affliction Autos logo is loosely based off of the Pulp Fiction logo. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Nice. The box art where Uma Thurman is just kind of like laying on the bed, like on her stomach, mm-hmm. the cigarette, yeah. Yeah. the gun. The iconic, <laughs> it's like the iconic poster they have in everyone's room. At Dude, home. seriously, Uma. Perfectly encapsulates like the atmosphere of this movie. And so I just kind of adopted that. I, I like that color scheme. There's mm-hmm. a contrast between the two, but yet they complement mm-hmm. each other. So it's like, uh, I adopted the, the yellow, and then we had some of the red thrown in there, and it turned out really well. Yeah, I like it. I wish my creative skills were that high. <laughs> <laughs> Did you come up with the, your logo? No. We, we we all tried a little bit here and there, but then I think we ended up paying just like a company, and then we they came up with a couple different ideas, and then we pit, and then we actually took a picture of the main picture of the a, a bar scene. So it's like a little bit of both. Like we nice. took a picture and we made it into a logo. Nice, nice. That's dope. Yeah. I mean, it, I wasn't, I mean, that technically wasn't me, right? So, I mean, it was, I, I take credit for it, but realistically, it wasn't my effort. Yeah, it was great. I'm the guy that shows up on the last day. It's like, all right, here's my 
little piece and I get an A plus for it because I really <laughs> He still showed up. I like the ones where you don't need to throw these like obnoxious colors or like graphics. You got that old school film reel and then you got the drink next to it. And it's like, that's basically all you need. I like it. It's classy. Every show is going to have a different vibe. And that's why I, I like studying logos in a way. Right. Sometimes yeah. you can't even read the font because the background is so busy. And so less is more. Less is more. Yes, that's right. Yes, I agree with that. So after the title card, um, now we are introduced to some of the most iconic characters. The hitmen, Jules and Vincent, arrive at an apartment to retrieve a briefcase for their boss, Marcellus Wallace. Again, another well-known conversation. They're driving in the car and they're talking about Vincent Vega's uh, trip to Europe, right? And he was yes. talking about like his experience going to McDonald's. <laughs> yes. It's so realistic. You know, this is this very much felt like a conversation that you would hear people having in a car. Yeah. Yeah. The delivery and the reactions and all that stuff. Like Jules is just like, oh shit, that's wild. The Royale with cheese. The Royale, Royale with, with cheese. That's it was that quarter pounder, right? Yeah. Nick's is like, oh, they don't got the metric system over there. <laughs> oh no, they do have the metric system. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but what they call Big Mac? Le Big Mac. <laughs> He's like, Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call Big it Le Big Mac. I also love how disgusted he looked when uh, Jules had the audacity to ask him, like, oh, well, what about a Whopper? What do they call that? And he was like, I don't know. I didn't fucking go to Burger King. <laughs> like, incensed. Like, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. Right? He's just like, oh, why the fuck did you ask me that? <laughs> exactly. He kind of looks at him like, I don't know. I, I didn't go there. I have standards. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> He was talking about like going to Amsterdam or something, right? Was he just kind of touring Europe, going to uh, a few different countries? That's why I took it from. Yeah, like he was kind of like not backpacking, but like he he visited a few countries. Mm. I think. But he was out there for three or four years, right? Yeah, yeah. He says that because somebody asks him, "How long have you? How long were you out there?" And he's like, yeah. "This is a hell of a vacation, right?" Is this the first movie? No, I think it was Reservoir Dogs. Which one was the one that introduced the infamous trunk shot? They open the trunk lid and then it's like looking up at them having a conversation over the trunk. Another staple of uh, Quentin Tarantino. I almost wonder if it was Reservoir Dogs because also using the radio and changing the station while credits were still rolling at the beginning was totally a Reservoir Dogs thing. So the trunk, uh, uh, yeah, I just don't know. It's been a long time. It's been a while. It's been a, it, it has been a long time. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to have that on my to-do list to watch that. And I'll, I'll get back to you for that one. <laughs> Like, I just was like, I was enjoying the moment, you know, of especially Jules and Vincent. They, when they talk in this movie, it's like you pay attention. It's, it's like they purposely block out. I don't know. Maybe they on purpose. I, I block out everything else in the background. I, I, mm -hmm. I just know they take the scene away personally. I mean, that's what you get with Travolta and, and Samuel Jackson, right? So oh, definitely. They, they steal the scenes and you have two iconic people right there. And you're like, holy crap. And, you know, this is when you're first watching the movie, like, holy crap. This is John Travolta and Samuel Jackson. This, right. this has to be a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was before Sam Jackson was a huge name, right? He, that's what I'm yeah. saying. He's holding his own in that scene, and he was yeah, relatively he unknown. He'd been in a couple of things. I think I think I remember seeing him. No, no, no. He wasn't in Beverly Hills Cop. That was Damon Wayans. But he, I remember, I'm trying to think what other movie he was in. It's just a bit part. But for him to have this and just to own it. I just kept thinking coming to America. He was the, uh, that little fast food robber. That's yes. right. That's, that's right. Yes. That's what it's from. That's what I remember from there. It is. Yeah. Cause Eddie Murphy just like whoops his ass with the broom or whatever. That's a, such a great movie. 
it's crazy that every that so many people had a moment in this movie you know some people just steal a scene and you know we all talk about heath ledger christian bale doesn't do a terrible job but you know heath ledger sticks out that much more and yet you talk about something like this talk about pulp fiction you, you think travolta does a fantastic fucking job Samuel Jackson does an f- amazing job. Mm-hmm. Uma Thurman as well sells it. It's just every single person in the cast, you know, pulls their weight and more. That's the beauty of Tarantino as a director, though, is I feel like whoever he's working with to bring these people on board, man, he knows how to bring the most out of their abilities. Very seldom does he ever kind of fumble the ball with an actor in one of his movies, but every time he has these characters and he casts the a specific actor for these roles he's able to just pull this awesome performance that it's it's almost like it's something that you didn't even know that they had in them. Right. They could be well-known actors and you're like, damn, I didn't realize that they had that range. You got someone like Quentin Tarantino. It's like, shit, I knew, I knew I could get that out of him. It's wild. It's wild to think that, that he, he gets it so well and he sees the potential. Mm-hmm. But for, for that trunk shot, the reason why I brought it up is because they were talking about like, we need, we should have shotguns for this. And when they're talking about that, did you guys think like some shit was about to go down? Oh, yeah. They don't have backups, so they need shotguns. What exactly yeah. are we about to get into right now? Officially, you have an idea like, okay, they're wearing suits. So they're some type of professional. So you get the idea like, okay, and they're Hitman, but without knowing they're Hitman. So this is the first time like, oh, they have, they're talking about weapons, I think. You get the idea like, you know, yeah, some shit's about to go down, right? But then it's like the next conversation is so interesting, too, because they talk about this foot massage incident. <laughs> they're introducing this character, Mia, Marcellus's wife. But, you know, they don't show her yet, but they're talking about her. And um, I think Vince is saying that he's going to be taking her out on a date soon because Marcellus is going out of town. So he's going to be, you know, just kind of showing her around, keeping her company. Everyone that he tells us to, everyone that Vincent tells us to, everyone's just like, have you seen Mia? Hmm. And so everyone has that same reaction. And I love how they play it up because he's just like, what? What? Why does everyone keep like laughing when I tell them I'm, you know, I'm going to take him out. It's like, it's going to be fine. Later, he's having this this moment in front of the mirror. where He's trying to convince himself <laughs> not to fast forward to that real quick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, such a great scene. They also talk about like this whole she was an uh, aspiring actress or something, right? Or she was like a, a struggling actress. And she was on this pilot of a show that could have been big but it didn't get picked up and so she's just kind of like i don't know doing her own thing i guess <laughs> i i just love the the sassiness of jules here because you know he's just being like so sarcastic and and uh kind of an asshole and i just i love the banter between the two this like brotherly friendship that they have you know that they've known each other for a long time they have this good rapport and they'll give each other shit and and vincent asks like some some seriously philosophical questions like you would you give me a foot massage then if it's so like innocuous <laughs> if it's so if it's so benign then yeah you'd give me a foot massage right and fuck you immediately he's just <laughs> fuck you because he <laughs> he knows damn well you wouldn't he, he knew exactly he's like no man the whole point of a foot massage is the fact that you both know that you shouldn't be and that it's you know whatever and it's just yeah, so yeah. like what was the deal with the foot massage there was this whole ordeal right with it <laughs> this dude some some what was his name Oh man, I'm trying to think of his his uh, crazy name. But anyway, uh, yeah, he some dude gave him foot massage. Purportedly gave a foot massage to to Marcellus's wife, and then Marcellus uh, proceeded to 
drop him, hang him over the the edge of, of a building and drop him. How many stories? I don't even remember how many stories. Like four onto like stories a glass. or something? Yeah, four stories four. onto some glass building or roof or something like that. He's all cut up, jacked up. He's got like a lisp or a speech impediment now. It was like a greenhouse or something at the bottom. A greenhouse. That must have been what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but over a foot massage and like like you know vincent's playing devil's advocate basically he's like well i could see how you know and he's like you don't think that's like overreacting yeah that's a little excessive <laughs> a little excessive but he's like i'm not saying it's not I mean, but i could see <laughs> oh man now we we meet brett the person that they're here to see so is this when he eats the cheeseburger in front of his face yes Yes. I like that cheeseburger looks so bomb. Exactly. <laughs> was it Big Kahuna Burger? I think is what he Big said. Big Kahuna Burger. Dude, Big Kahuna Burger looked bomb. Every single time I watch the scene, I'm just like salivating. Yeah. This Brett guy, even like walking in, it's just like a bunch of these corny looking dudes, right? And they just look like a bunch of potheads, honestly. But um, yeah, you know, they walk in and they make themselves comfortable. Vincent, he immediately goes to the kitchen to kind of just like hang out. I think he's just kind of like scoping the place out while uh, Jules does his thing. I get the sense that Jules is typically the one that he has to do his little spiel before they take out their victims. And uh, yeah, they're here to retrieve this briefcase that Brett has, or supposedly, I don't know if he like stole it from Marcellus. He was supposed to like retrieve it and like give it back to Marcellus and he decided to keep it. I'm not exactly sure like what the exact story is with this briefcase, but Vincent and Jules are looking for it. Man, this is where Jules shines. This is like the scene that everyone remembers from Pulp Fiction, right? But first mm -hmm. he's, you know, he's like punking him for his burger and then he... <laughs> drinks all of his soda all of it you know brett was trying to weasel his way out of it and uh, i think jules knew exactly what he was trying to do and he he just immediately like takes control of the situation again once they find this briefcase we never find out what's inside the briefcase either you don't. right i mean what do you guys think is in the briefcase i always thought about that that is the million dollar question right it's like what the fuck oh. is in there and why does it glow they open it and right. everyone that sees it is like Holy shit, is that what I think it is? I love how they reference it, but like indirectly, right? They're just like, is that what I think it is? No one ever says what it is. <laughs> what the mm -hmm, fuck is in the briefcase? Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's also the the charm with the movie is that you don't ever find out what's in there and they just kind of leave the audience to guess what's in there. Yeah. Like, what do you think is in that briefcase? I mean, probably because it the way it shines, right? It's probably like something something with gold, like a gold, couple gold bars um, or uh, some diamonds, probably like just a lot of diamonds, something that's hard to try. I don't know. It's hard to say. I'm trying to guess. Something that leaves people in awe, quite yeah, literally. Exactly. So what would make mm. you say, oh, my God, is that what I think it is? <laughs> I, I think he took that from a movie, too, that whole uh, like glowing briefcase thing and not showing the contents of it. But um I think I saw a picture somewhere online of like what's actually in the briefcase. And it's just like these, it's almost like a vanity light, some bulbs in there. And it's like, so when you open it, it just like turns on. That's funny. I'll tell you what it is. It's Dr. Claw's hand. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. I'll get you next time, Gadget. Next time. Yes. <laughs> I'll tell you what's in there. It's the, uh, the Black Lodge ring. The gold one. <laughs> oh man i only bring that up because we were i was talking to michael about like oh you should actually get that rocket like 
not ironically, you know, like seriously. No, no, I would it. totally, I would totally, I want that thing. I, I want, or something. Do you know what better, that is? It's from Twin like, Peaks, The Black Lodge. And I, who was in it? it was it a movie, a show? Damn it, Eddie, read a book. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. So no. No, no, it's a, it's a, it's kind of an obscure '90s show. It's early '90s. We did a, we did an episode recently on it, and uh, it was kind of, it's, it, it's a, it's a dope show. Heck yeah. Um, I, I like the way that Michael described this in the office when uh, we were kind of like talking about doing Pulp Fiction, but um, he was just like, "Yeah, Brett was not long for this world." <laughs> <laughs> He had a friend with him too. Didn't he have a friend with him? Two, there were three of them, four, right? That we find out later. Yeah, yeah, there was like a couple of them because there's that dude that's hiding in the corner, which is that guy from SNL. No, he's from Mad TV, right? I was trying to figure out like who the hell is that guy, Marvin, sitting on the couch. Oh, Marvin. Oh, the dude that right, right, right. The dude that goes for a ride later. The the yeah, yeah, goes for a ride with them. Yeah. Oh, after that scene, he he's the only surviving person in that scene. Yeah, Marvin. And then yeah, there's like some random unknown guy on the couch. Which I does he actually get killed? It sounds like the gun goes off when he points the gun. He moved. He moved, and it looked like he he it looked like he missed, but he stops moving. So I I'm assuming that he got (laughs) killed there. And there's no muzzle flash. There's just like a gunshot sound. Yeah, I'm 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 assuming he's dead because um they're not going to leave behind a witness, and they only leave with the one dude who was there with the witness. So yeah, I'm pretty sure he does shoot him. I was noticing a little bit of like the um the limited budget because of like the fact that when he shoots that guy on the couch, there's no muzzle flash or anything like that. So I'm like, right. Did they just kind of like edit that in later? And then when they were both shooting Brett, it was kind of like doing this like flash between Jules and Vincent flashing back maybe and forth was, between them. Maybe it was a creative um, I, uh, decision where kind of like with uh, Hitchcock <clears throat> at the time when he made psycho, he could have made it in color, but he chose to make it in black and white. Hmm. And, uh, the stabbing scene he could have shown the knife going in but he didn't he he, he alluded uh, to it it's almost like letting your imagination it, it just does something more which would which would definitely play to uh what he's doing with the briefcase like st- purposefully withholding certain information on screen for whatever reason that might be it, it might increase in your mind what what the mayhem was like you know you don't see it but you do see the squibs on his chest <laughs> <laughs> oh know? is that what those those little packets like the blood packets or whatever is that what's squibs called? yeah yeah squibs okay. just... that was good let me ask you guys does marcel swallows look like a bitch <laughs> <laughs> does he look like a bitch say what again <laughs> say what again dude say the way he was pumpkin on, it was it was brutal man yeah. English motherfucker, do you speak it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so many memorable funny. lines just in the that five minutes of yeah, the movie. It's... Yeah. Now uh next chapter, Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife. So man, if you thought the last story was wild, they upped the ante a little bit in this one. This little section oh, of the movie oh. is freaking wild. Oh, oh my gosh. Dude, Easton was like, that movie was crazy last night. <laughs> <laughs> Because of this scene, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, not okay. just this scene, but the, yeah, everything, every everything when we get into it. But but yeah, this definitely set her off because before then she was still kind of you know she check her phone a little bit. I'm like, I'm like, it's cool. Immediately she's hooked when she, when what goes down next happened. <laughs> she's like, phone was down, and she's like, what? <laughs> so now we're being introduced to uh, 
well, sort of what Marcel Swallows looks like. You know, you kind of see the back of his head and that little band-aid. Yep. And uh, you see Butch. So we're introduced to Bruce Willis's character, Butch. Supposed to be a boxer, right? Yeah. He, but from my understanding, it seems like he's kind of like on his way out. You know, like he's he's yeah. kind of like an aging boxer, not as good as he used to be, type of thing. Needs to take a fall. They're discussing this deal, and you soon discover that they're going to do something shady, something that's frowned upon. You know, when it comes to uh, sports, especially combat sports, he's going to take a dive. So he's like, "Are are you in?" And it certainly looks that way. You know, as he's grabbing the money. <laughs> What I grabbed from Butch was he's at a time in his life where he's probably not going to see a lot of, like this much money in front of him again for a while. So he's, I think right now he's thinking like, okay, I all this is easy job. All I need is to take a dive. I'm, of course, yes. Mm -hmm. And then the competitive side later, the competitive side of him came out a little bit, and he's like, ah, I'm not going to lose this guy. No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a bitch. My dad fucking got me this watch, you know what I mean? It, he had to keep hold it up his ass for how many years? And yeah, exactly. So I was like, I think his pride, it's, it's so funny because it's like a foreshadowing of that happening. You feel that sting? You might feel the sting. That's just pride. That's pride fucking with you. Ving <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Rams too, you know, like he holds his own. Kills it. And it's like you, you, most of the time you just see the back of his head. It's true. He's, he's such a compelling character himself. <laughs> it's true. Oh, uh, we also see Jules and Vincent walk into this bar. I'm assuming it's like a strip club or something that they're in. Maybe like a strip club before it opens. I don't know if that's like his little hangout spot, but um, we see Jules and Vincent walk in and they're wearing, they're not wearing their usual garb. You know, they're wearing some like dumbass looking clothes. Mm -hmm. And you don't really know why, but you're going to find out later. Yeah, they're wearing their Sunday best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Vincent's at the the bar and Butch walks up. I think he was asking for cigarettes or something from the bartender. And there was some animosity between Vincent and Butch, which I was kind of curious about. I don't think they ever really go into that. It just seems like they're two alphas. I forget he says something to Oh, Vincent's staring at him. They're both st standing it's like at the mad bar. dogging him. Yeah, he's mad dogging him. Like, can I help you with something? You got a prom friend or something like that? And he's just like, I ain't your friend. Right, exactly. So there's like, neither of them is backing down. Mm. Yep. Dude, I mean, if they if they got in a fight, Butch would whoop that ass. He can kill a dude with his fists, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I didn't get... I, I think... Oh, were you going to say? Yeah, you get the idea that uh, Butch is... He, he knows he's with some bad people, right? So he knows anyone coming in here right now delivering something to as, as much as they look like a fool they're still working for marcellus so he's uh, in his eyes he's like you know he's trying to be alpha but he's probably thinking in his back of his head he's almost taking pictures you know in his head he's like okay who are these people you know i might meet them down the road i don't know it's one of those i imagine butch is one of those characters where he he remembers a lot of faces i think in this scenario kind of almost helps him because he knows uh he um, you know, he remembers this incident with Vincent and down the road that kind of helps him out, uh, you know, mm -hmm. surviving. Yeah, that's that's an interesting take for sure, because I wonder if Butch has dealt with some shady figures all throughout his career, because he seems pretty calm and collected in this situation as well. Like, he seems like he knows what he's doing, even though he's outnumbered and he's in enemy territory. Essentially, he knows that if he plays it cool, everything would turn out all right. 
it was cool too because they're foreshadowing for later like they're setting up this uh confrontation between vincent and butch later on in the movie this is like the first time mm-hmm. that you're kind of seeing it and uh, you kind of want them to run into each other again because of this heated moment mm-hmm. yeah you get the idea that they're not done with each other right you right know. i'll see you it's, again yeah. friend <laughs> and then after that uh vincent is you know, he he's kind of taken the day to prepare for his upcoming date with Mia later that evening. So he stops by his drug dealer's house, Lance, played by uh, Eric Stoltz, by the way, who almost played Marty McFly in Back to the Future, which I didn't even realize that was the same dude. I was like, that's fucking Eric Stoltz. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it, it's uh, Lance's house that Vincent's at, and he's he's kind of being um, shown a few different selections of heroin. I really got a, a chuckle out of the interaction where Lance was like, hey, so uh, so-and-so out in the living room, you know, she's single. <laughs> if you want to like chill and like kind of shoot up here. And he's just like, which one's that one? Is she the one with all the shit in her face? No, that's Jody. That's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like such an awkward scene. But, you know, he he plays it off. Like, I think Vincent was just like, oh, shit, at first. But then he's just like, oh, I'm just fucking with you, man. I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> I don't think he was, though. <laughs> no, no. But this is important because he, he shoots up here, but he doesn't use it all. And because of the fact that Lance is out of balloons, he can't put the heroin in a balloon. So he's just like, do you mind if I just put in a baggie? And so when it's in the bag, it looks like cocaine. Like, right, fuck it. And just puts that in his pocket. Oh, yeah, you're right. I hadn't even picked up on that. I hadn't even picked up Me on neither. that. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't either. Because I, I missed that why it was in the baggie compared to usually uh, just heroines and balloons. So after that, uh, oh, now it's finally date time. Vincent shows up at the Wallace residence to pick up Mia. This was just such an awkward first interaction between them because he walks up. She's like hidden in the back room or whatever. So she puts a little note on the front door. You know, Vincent, come on in make yourself comfortable and then this (laughs) dude like this meme all the time right you got vincent in the living room and she's talking to him through the intercom and he's just like what (laughs) you know looking all confused like with his arms out like who the fuck is talking high as shit i just love that meme like how people use that he's just like looking around all confused (laughs) it's always used at the the best time too it's like that's like the go-to like where the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Like, Go to the intercom over there. And he's just like, what the fuck? My first time here, bro. Warmer. Warmer. <laughs> yeah. Disco. Like, she's a fucking weird person. Like, I don't get this whole interaction. She's just chilling, spying on them. Like, in Not the, even in getting house. ready. She's just literally like, oh, make yeah. yourself a drink. And then just like watches him with the security camera. You think because she's afraid of, uh, because she's Wallace's uh, girl? So she's just like, who's this guy? Or she's just like in the weird shit. I didn't get that sense. I feel like she's just kind of a uh, socially awkward person. Like, I don't know if she necessarily interacts with a lot of people. Maybe she, the only people she really interacts with are just business partners or like gangsters or something that just come and go. But no one of substance, right? That she really gets to have meaningful conversations with. And so I feel like she, yeah. she just does weird shit. Like maybe she's she does these little things that like, she just gets a kick out of. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. even necessarily think that she's afraid of anyone. Yeah. I bet she's seen some shit, you know, being married to Marcel's. Oh, and yeah. so I don't know if she's necessarily intimidated, especially because this is like a trusted colleague of Marcellus. You know, this is like a, a long relationship that Vincent has had with Marcellus. 
And so she probably has heard of him several times. And there's a reason why Vincent is the one chosen to go out on a date with Mia. You know, I, I feel like Marcel's trusts him. He feels that Mia is going to feel comfortable around him as well, as opposed to anyone else on the team. Did you guys get a sense that she she was just like a weird person in general? Yeah, at least for me, I was just like, she's just being who she is and she's not afraid to just be a little weird. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, she wants to go up and dance. She feels like dancing. She doesn't care. She, she does what she wants to do. She's not worried about what other people think. What I really enjoyed about this, too, was there's this long buildup until you actually see Mia because you don't even see her at the house. You just kind of see like her lips really close up. And then, you know, you hear people talk about Mia and the fact that people always kind of chuckle whenever Vincent brings up that he's going on a date with her. I wasn't quite positive what they were alluding to, but I had the sense that everyone was kind of saying, you know, indirectly that, oh, dude, Mia is hot. Trust me, you're going to fall in love with her as soon as you see her. I think he that's why he, I think he brings a heroin because he's a little nervous, right? It's like he's like, shit, take shit. the edge off. Yeah. So I do love how um, they went to a 50s theme diner. Like, like, that's so the whole diner, the whole diner scene was amazing. Like, that's I what freaking this love this thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they that's the reveal is when they pull up to Jackrabbit Slims. And, you know, that's Mia's request. She's the one that specifically chose this place. Just the whole atmosphere of it, like I loved everything about it, the menu, the music, the way the staff was dressed up, fucking loved every bit of this. Fun fact about it, actually, is that this is the largest chunk of the overall budget for the movie was for this set, the Jack Rabbit really? Slim set, because there's so much detail and it's a continuous shot when Vincent is walking through it and he's just kind of scoping it out. It's a continuous shot all the way through. So it's a full set. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that. Pretty dope. Oh, dude, even the boots, mm-hmm. right? Like the boots were like real cars. Fucking dope. In the classic car, right? I would have killed to go to something like that. If there was a, some sort of pop-up like, hey, we built Jackrabbit Slims, you know? Like, come check it out. Oh, I would totally yeah. Go. Every so often you get, I mean, it's the melt shades that you can tell, you know, places like those that have old school melt shades. So like the strawberry milkshake, the way that came, I was like, oh, that looks mm-hmm. delicious. And like, you know, I know there's some places that you can do like uh, old school themed, uh, you know, restaurants. Mm. Not to that level, but I think they're out in Texas, most of them, the ones I've been aware of. Or San Diego, it could be San Diego. But like, I mean, everyone knows about like Ruby's back in the day on Ruby's. the pier. Like, you go there for the strawberry milkshakes, but it wasn't themed like, yeah, you know, it wasn't like 50s themed to the level of this uh, movie. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, Ruby's was definitely one. Uh, wasn't there one like what's that diner that's in uh was it rancho was it victoria gardens johnny rockets johnny rockets that's mm-hmm. another one yeah johnny rockets r.i.p oh it's no longer there it closed i don't think so. i mean maybe may, they might be there i know the ones in the one in pasadena just totally got couldn't you also like request songs from your table like throw like little dimes or nickels in there mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly nickels uh, mm-hmm. i mean who the hell has nickels on them though that's seriously true. <laughs> I know. Jack Rabbit Slims. That's just a cool name too, Jack Rabbit Slims. Yeah, yeah. Vincent was like, "You want to come here? I could literally take you anywhere. Like, let's go to a fancy steak restaurant or something." And she's just like, "No, you know, I want to eat here." Because he was really adamant about getting that steak for dinner. Bloody as hell. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You think she knew that they're having a, a dance contest? 
Ooh, man, I don't know. It seemed like it was spontaneous to me. It seemed like it was on a whim because they get there and, you know, obviously the entire restaurant is kind of circular on the inside and you don't really understand what this giant empty space is in the middle of the room. They they kind of sit down at first and they order their food, but then she's like, all right, I'm gonna go powder my nose real quick. And I love the double entendre about that. <laughs> exactly. You think that she's going to go like, you know, I'm just going to like gussy up a little bit, make sure my makeup's not fucked up. No, she literally meant powder her nose with cocaine. Yep. <laughs> and I said, God damn. That's right. <laughs> I, I feel like she's a little bit nervous too. Once uh, she realizes yeah, yeah. She vi- she's vibing really well with Vincent, right? And even Vincent, you know, I think she she got more nervous and Vincent was like, oh, all right. I mean, like, he he played it off really well, like you know, yeah, like wherever you want to go, let's go. Mm-hmm. I I feel like personally, like she's probably always been, uh, she doesn't get much freedom, right, to some of uh, Marcel's people. So having someone like Vincent, good-looking guy, oh, he's here to wine and dine me, you know, and, and Wallace is not here, he's never here to take me mm-hmm. out to dinner, and this guy's actually good-looking, he's actually talking to me, he's listening to me, it's getting a little bit what she is probably wanting to have and that's the attention in her life sure so the attention yeah she's she's probably a little depressed so you know she needed to take off the the edge a little bit with the powder but you know that's you know she knows she's good looking so she wants <laughs> to dance that, so, and, see isn't that funny between both of them is that they're both putting on this like front of being confident on this date but they're both kind of nervous at the same time and they don't want to fuck it up yeah for Vincent, it's because of his life yes. on the line. He can... So there's a lot of pressure because he's <laughs> like, if I have a bad date with her, then Marcel's might kill me. But uh, yeah, I think she she was kind of attracted to him. I felt like there was this chemistry between them, you know, and there was this attraction there. Twist dance. Yeah, yeah, you can see it for sure. Yeah, exactly in the twist dance. Because she keeps that intense eye contact the entire time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The, see, this is another thing that's so charming about the movie is like this twist contest is so unnecessary but how many movies are you gonna see a twist competition in it does take up some some a bunch of screen time too but it's so charming it just sweeps you up in it It, it, the movie would be so much less if it wasn't Mm -hmm. there yes it it throws back to the john travolta days of greece maybe a little bit like american Mm -hmm. graffiti of like like a random like dancing that takes up you know it's it's cool. I like, I mean, it, it, I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a musical, you would kind of expect it. Right. But I think what makes it yes. stand out even more in this movie is because this isn't the type of movie you would expect for them to just like start busting out into like some sort of dance scene. And yeah, like it's a few minutes that they're doing this, you know, it's an extended mm-hmm. scene. The fact that he's Tarantino is able to just like stay on it for so long, just let the scene play out. I think that's what made it even more memorable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of like kubrick though letting the scene breathe mm-hmm. so many of us can go through our lives without really really f- or, or maybe getting glimpses of being seen you know what i mean because we as yeah. indiv- we, we as human beings we're so we're so strange to think that, that that we're not to think that somebody else is weird but i'm not weird is silly because i'm weird i have i have I, there's all sorts of cool stuff that i like that i think is cool that mm-hmm. other people might be like that's weird <laughs> you know but um but I think that it's so it's because it's so rare just to meet somebody on that level where they're willing to be vulnerable with you, let alone, you know, just, just actually jive with you and have chemistry. Um, it wasn't just business. You know, there was some pleasure there. 
precisely precisely there's exactly there's pleasure there they're having a good time yeah. so it's it's allowing herself to to really truly enjoy the night and she was it, it takes a turn for the worse once they get back to the wallace <laughs> residence yeah they get home and they come home with the trophies so you find out that they actually won he ends up going to the bathroom and spending an extended yeah, period of time. Up. Right, exactly. Just talking himself like, up and down, if you, if you think about it. And down, exactly. Hey, we're just going to, it's nothing. I'm going to leave and. I'm going to get one drink. I think I'm going to get one drink or something. But it's not as though he has a simple, like, quick, like, he goes into the bathroom, looks at himself in the mirror and goes, no, it's not happening. And then just goes back out. No, he has a serious. <laughs> it's a long conversation. It's a, this is a serious, long, seriously long conversation he's having where he's reasoning through this whole. No, he's considering it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And think about this too, the fact that Mia has that effect on people. She's wearing, she's does, she does, but, but she's allowed herself to be affected by him too. And think about this. She's wearing his trench coat. She's dancing, sauntering or sauntering around her house with his coat on. It smells like him when we all are so olfactory senses, right? Everything. She's swept up in it too. Mm. That, that the whole night she's swept up in it. There's feelings that are there for sure, and then she even digs in his in his. She's looking through his things. Finds yeah. that bag. Yeah, she's looking through his things. She's curious about him. Yeah, she's not doing it to be like, who is this guy? She's kind of reveling. Yeah, reveling in the night and puts on her favorite song. Shout out to that song. It's Urge Overkill's cover of Neil Diamond's "Girl, You're Gonna Be a Woman Soon" or "You'll Be a Woman Soon." And apparently, because of this movie, that song got pretty popular and it reached number 59 on the Billboard 200. No way. Really? Interesting song. Like, it's pretty catchy. It is. Good cover. So I, I wonder, like, where do you think the date would have gone had she not gotten into his uh, heroin? Do you think something could have happened? Yeah, I feel like Vincent would have gotten in trouble. I think either he would have gotten in trouble or there would be more... I don't know, even more sexual tension between them or something. It would lead to something eventually. Days after, like there would be like something that would continue to build up off of that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the the date did go so well, it would almost be like when they saw each other again, would that be there? In fact, that tension's there again when they see each other later, but it's not quite the same. You know what I mean? It's almost like they're they're friends who went through something together with sort of an attraction, an unspoken attraction, Mm -hmm. but it's just they acknowledge each other, but it's more than she doesn't just go like, hey. It's like she looks, she makes eye contact with him and everything. Mm-hmm. Curiosity killed the cat, you know, and she was, her curiosity kind of got the better of her here because she saw that little baggie and she's like, ooh, hello, what's your name? Right. Right, right. How rude. God damn it. Wait for Vince to come out. Yeah, yeah. But also at the same time, I think this is Mia and she's kind of used to just getting whatever she wants, she gets. So as yep. soon as she sees it, she's like, oh, cool, Coke. Yeah, I'll take it. Doesn't even ask if she can have it because she knows that they're going to say yes anyway. It's like, were you going to tell me no? Right. I don't think so. Right. She hasn't known the word no. <laughs> I mean, if she if she wanted to, you know, like it's like, hey, let's take this to the bedroom. Like Vincent wasn't going to say no. <laughs> Likely not. Yeah. And now Vincent has to freaking. This is like the worst scenario. Like he was having a good time. He went to the bathroom for like literally a couple minutes, comes out, his world turned upside down. When she uh, snorted the heroin, immediately overdosed. Like it was, that shit was not fucking around. No, no. Can you imagine like walking out of a restroom and then like you're there at a party and you just instantly like, bro, 
what the fuck just happened? I went to the piss and this, a couple what did minutes. you get yourself into? And it, That's it. Yeah. And then he's just like, I have, you know, especially in his scenario, he's like, I have, I'm going to die right now. If he's I'm, shitting bricks. I felt, I felt pretty yeah. bad for him because like everything, this was completely out of his control. He did nothing wrong mm-hmm. here. This was all her and he has to be the one to pay for it. Can you imagine though? Like he's in his head, he's thinking, I was in charge for just one night and I killed Wallace's Mia. <laughs> everyone that everyone talks about, I killed Mia. Right. So he's instantly panicking, right? So he went to Lance's house out of all the places. I would I mean, you don't go to the hospital or anywhere. I mean, I guess is that I guess that's okay. For well, from my understanding, I guess there's a lot of um suspicion that comes with that and I think law enforcement might get involved. That might have been just as bad, honestly. Just drop her off at the hospital and leave. Just, just bounce. But it's like, you know, he. I think he would have been asked questions later, like, what the fuck happened? You're just going to leave my, my wife like that? That made sense. Yeah, that made sense. He wasn't really thinking straight either. And he was just like, oh, fuck, uh, maybe, maybe Lance will know what to do. This is his, what he does. He's an expert when it comes to drugs. So maybe he'll know how to. The antidote. Yeah, how, how to fix an overdose. <laughs> pretty much just like storms right into his house he like crashes into his house literally i think he crashes in it's hilarious i love that he's standing on the porch and then he watches vince vincent just fucking run into his house so luckily he actually does have that adrenaline shot even though it's like what was it like buried in under like a bunch of uh like magazines and books and stuff i think i don't know how to use this I think they're trying to figure out where to stab it, right? That was hilarious. You, you got you got to do this motion. Well, I got stabbed it three times. Exactly. <laughs> do you see that needle too? That thing was like this long. <laughs> that thing was so long. I was like, is that is that fake? Is that would that be that long? I can see like an epidural maybe being that long, but like your yeah. heart, I don't think is. I feel like it's not that, that far. From, <laughs> but I mean, it's like sticking out the, the back. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the only needle that actually reminded me of an epidural needle, the size of it and the, the thickness Ooh. of it. Like that was the size, like it was, it was the biggest needle I've ever seen in my life. And <sighs> when I saw that needle, I was like, that's a pretty fat needle for the heart there. Right. For, you know, for the adrenaline, you know, stab, pull out the heart. This was a cool effect too, because it was so suspenseful. Mia's like on the ground in the living room and um, they basically just like do a little mark on her chest. Like, all right, cool. <laughs> I guess I'm just going to stab it right here. But it's like, why would you bring the needle like up above your head? How accurate are you going to be coming down like this? Yeah. I mean, I haven't had the chance to do it yet. I'll let you know if I ever have to run across. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and I, I loved how they did it with the uh, makeup too, because they kept that needle like in her chest the entire time. Like when she wakes up and she she kind of like scurries away. Yeah, sits up. It just adds to the the uncomfortableness of this scene. Did you say this is the scene that Easton was was like holy shit for? Yeah, yeah, that was that that definitely hooked her. It's like what the hell? This went from you know date and some guys get shot in a room to I mean all this happens in the same one movie. Mm-hmm. Crazy, dude, and it gets even more wild. That's what I was gonna say. After that, Vincent takes Mia home, and then she finally gets to say that joke, which was what was it like it was the family of tomatoes or something like that right right ketchup yeah the dad goes back to the kid squashes him and says ketchup mm-hmm. i felt bad for both of them because they had such a great time and then it turned into the worst scenario ever and then you know they she still kind of tries to end on a little bit of a joke and 
Vincent was he he tried to be polite, but he was just like, you know, I'm not really in like a uh, a laughing mood right now. I'm just still kind of recovering from what just transpired and being terrified for his life and for her life. It was just kind of like bittersweet for them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's almost like a, what could have been type of scenario. Right. So now we have the next chapter, the gold watch in the flashback with Christopher Walken, Mm -hmm. man. And you know, it's funny because I feel like every time we finish one of these, chapters where i was like man that was crazy but then the next chapter gets even crazier dude so this movie is just so wild man it's it's such a roller coaster it is from from start to finish it's funny because it's like you you have the they're funny you know i mean you have those comedic moments so i'm supposed to stab her three times and it's just (laughs) a really it's an honest moment but it's like you have moments like that then you have this crazy gore and violence I don't know. It's out there. Just covers a lot of ground. It doesn't like disrupt the flow of the movie at all. Like that takes some talent. It does. Mm -hmm. So we got the gold watch and then, you know, we're already talking about the flashback with uh, Christopher Walken as Captain Coons. So, you know, he was going through this whole long story about this, this gold watch, the lineage of this gold watch and how it's like a family heirloom and they've gone through the thick and thin and he shoved up his ass, you know, like, (laughs) 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 <laughs> that's funny this little kid here in the story and you got the stranger walking up to you and he he's like gonna give you this gold watch but before i give it to you let me tell you about how i had to stick it up my ass you know that's basically mm-hmm, what he's telling him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now it's yours luckily it was a tiny watch but holy shit mm-hmm. <laughs> hopefully it got cleaned thoroughly that's what i was thinking i think it gave the illusion that that was like butch's dream because he just snaps awake you know he's like taking a nap before his boxing match that's right let's remember that butch is supposed to take a dive in what was it like the fifth round or something like that fifth round and uh Mm -hmm. he does not do that so we hear over the radio that's like covering the boxing match live that he not only did he win he like fucking killed his opponent i think he was planning on that too right he was planning on because didn't he have a getaway car or is that just separate? I think he called up a cab ahead of time. Like he, I think he probably like called her up and was like, wait here for me. This isn't going to take very long. So he knew what he was going to do. He oh yeah. Was- I think, I think he knew for sure. Like right from the get go, because you hear later on after he, you know, he's like making his run for it and he hops in the cab and uh, she's like having that weird conversation. Dude, this, that cab driver is fucking weird too. Esmeralda or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. He stops at a payphone and he was basically uh, telling some other guy, like, I don't know, some guy that he knows over the phone that what what were the bets like? Did I make a lot of money off of this? And I think he even leaked the fact that the fight was potentially staged, that I think a lot of people betted on him losing the fight. When you bet on him winning, it's going to be even more. It's going to be substantially more because everyone else was betting on him losing because they thought he was actually going yeah. to take a dive. Yeah, because he had bad odds. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And he almost needed Marcellus to sell it. Him do him betting against him validated anybody else. Oh well, Marcellus is doing. Okay, well I'm going to bet against him then. Bet, bet, bet that he would lose. He bet uh, an accurate win on himself because he knew what he was what he planned on doing. Um, then he was able to inflate that even more. So I'm like, dude, this guy's looking for a huge payout. I don't think they ever say how much he was going to get, but I imagine it's it's quite a bit. Like they were going to be living comfortably for a while. 
What did you guys think of his girlfriend, Fabian? Fabi. She's sweet. She's a character, though. Like, I don't know. She was also weird in her own right. Mm-hmm. She was weird in a weird, good way. Was like she was, like... she was kind, and you know, and she was she was gentle and very genuine. You know, like she seemed kind of innocent. Yeah, very innocent with her pot belly, pot belly talk. That's right. Did that conversation make any sense to you guys? Like, I don't think I've ever heard any girl say like, you know what? I think it's sexy for girls to have a pot belly, but if guys have pot bellies, they look like ogres. Yeah, no, I've never heard that <laughs> before. But people learn different things. If she had a pot belly, I would punch her in it because I punch myself in my pot belly all the time. <laughs> I got one right here. I can punch all day long. <laughs> this was such a fucked up scenario for Butch, though, because, you know, fucking over double crossing this gang boss like Marcellus, it's going to have some serious repercussions, right? You have to make sure you skip town immediately. And they were prepared to. They were at some undisclosed motel. Uh, he worked out with Fabian that, like, while he was getting ready for the fight, she was going to grab their shit, meet up at the hotel, and kind of wait out for him, right? And so she grabbed everything except the one thing he absolutely needed, which was the gold watch. Mm-hmm. Did you grab everything? Yeah, I grabbed everything. And you did you grab the gold watch as well? And she's just like, I, th- I think so. And he's like, what the fuck do you mean you think so? Did you grab it or did you not? And she was just like, I don't know. And so, you know, he's like panicking, looking through his shit. And sure enough, she did not grab it. That was the one thing he told her specifically to grab. Right nightstand on the kangaroo gold watch. (laughs) And she fucking Mm -hmm. forgot. You know, we already saw how important this watch is to him. Mm -hmm. It's a family heirloom. It means a lot to him, a lot of sentimental value. And it's worth him risking his life to go back and grab. Mm -hmm. He risked his whole life going back, you know, to the apartment, right? Mm-hmm. This, this is, is where, where they're going to be waiting from. Yeah, isn't it where Vincent was at? They knew that he was going to go back at some point. So that was just something he had to risk. And he, he even like tried parking what like a couple blocks away. And he was like taking back alleys and walking through a field and shit to get there. Yeah, he was. And it actually looked like he was going to get off scot-free. You know, no one was there. I thought there was going to be an army. Then he really he saw the machine gun on the table, right? Or like a, a SMG. Yeah, it was like an SMG or, or like Uzi or something. Yeah, and that's where Vincent. <laughs> he's, he's taking a. Who doesn't take your gun with you? He, he took his gun. He left it on the table, taking a trap or something. He comes out and he's like, "Oh God." <laughs> yeah, I think this shows the arrogance of Vincent, though, because oh, yeah. he knew that he was like, "Man, this is this is just some dumbass boxer guy. Like, I'll handle it." I have a feeling that he had been sitting there probably all night waiting for him. And he's just like, okay, well, I guess he's not coming back. And now I got to take a shit. He probably just got overconfident and uh, underestimated Butch, like how Butch was saying, you know, that's how you're going to beat him. They keep underestimating you. Yep. Since everything seems cool, you know, everything's copacetic. Butch is like, shit, I'm hungry too. Let me grab some pop tarts really quick. And he pops those in. And as he's waiting there, waiting for those to uh, finish cooking, that's when he sees the gun. And then he looks across the kitchen and the door to the bathroom is closed. So he's just like, oh, shit. And so he's just sitting there and he holds the gun. He points it at a, at the door. He doesn't expect to be able to shoot the gun because he doesn't seem very comfortable holding it. I don't think he has very much experience with it. And so I think he's just like holding it there. And he's trying to think of like, oh, shit, what am I going to do next? You know, like when he walks out, am I going to shoot him? Am I just going to like try to talk him down. I don't what the fuck's going to happen. 
because he's so on edge, as soon as the Pop-Tart pops, he just immediately just squeezes the trigger and shoots Vincent. What a way to go. Mm-hmm. All right. In the bathroom. You, we just got done going through a good portion of the movie and Vincent is kind of like the protagonist, right? Like we're following him and he's a likable guy, but it's all relative because from Butch's perspective, Vincent is not a good guy. He's this kind of piece of shit asshole. It's cool seeing that juxtaposition between the two because in Vince's story, he's the good guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now we, we change our allegiance from liking Vincent to liking Butch. We're on his side now. <laughs> right. And this is where Marcellus was actually with Vincent, but Marcellus left the apartment to go get some food or some donuts or something, right? He was walking back, and that's where he got hit, right? By uh... Butch, is, he's just like, fuck, I can't believe that that shit happened. But again, that's how you're going to beat him. That's how you're going to beat him, Butch. They just keep underestimating you. And then he's just sitting there listening to the radio, and then... <laughs> Who of all people like fucking Marcellus Wallace is walking across the intersection and he just stops. Motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is just a day that went from like bad to worse. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Oh yeah. And so as he runs him over, I don't even think he was thinking this through. You know, he just slams on the gas, runs his ass over, and then immediately gets into a crash because he wasn't thinking about the cross traffic. And they're both injured but also determined. So Butch is trying to run away with his fucked up leg or whatever. Or was it, was it a Marcel side of the fucked up leg? And I think Butch, he was probably just concussed. Honestly, his face looked fucked up. Mm-hmm. Marcel's is hot on his heels, you know, shooting at him. So they end up stumbling into this random ass pawn shop in some shopping center. I don't know what this, the hell this thing was, but it, this is like the most like, broke down looking pawn shop I've ever seen. Yep. And Butch gets to jump on Marcellus as he walks in and starts whooping his ass. Before he can actually take out Marcellus himself, the owner <laughs> points a gun at him and is like, uh-uh, not in my store, knocks him out, but then makes an ominous call to some guy named Zed on the phone and says, uh, the spider caught himself a couple flies. <laughs> so what the fuck does that mean? Hmm. It seems like there's some... They catch a lot of flies, it seems like. Mm -hmm. Exterminators. It kind of begs the question, like, how long has this been going on for? How many victims have they come across? Mm -hmm. Does shit like this really happen? That's wild. In LA, probably. LA pawn shops. It's out in the open, middle of the day. Middle of the day. So did you guys expect the movie to take this turn when you first watched it? Hell no. Hell no. Always catching me by surprise. This whole scene just is like, okay, this is where it happens. This entire like, movie, honestly, I'm just like, I just when yeah. you think you you expect something to happen, oh no, no, something completely different is about to happen right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now they're in this pawn shop dungeon, and uh, some crazy shit's about to go down. Zed walks up, and uh, is he a cop or is he some sort of security guard guy? Or I tell. I think it's a security a- guard. He's security guard, yeah. I don't. He's because the cop comes later, right? Or on the motorcycle? Yeah, Zed. Is that, or is that yeah. Zed? That is Zed. I I didn't get the uh, pawn shop owner's name. That's the guy I'm thinking. Okay. They pull out this like gimp that's sleeping in a box in the back of the basement <laughs> for some reason, and so they tie up the gimp. The gimp is supposedly going to be watching one of them as they pick the other one to take into the back room to do 
who knows what we don't know yet but uh yeah he does the any mini mini mo you start getting the idea what they're mm-hmm. gonna do mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of hoping that it doesn't go that direction but also at the same time you're like what else could it be right yes as soon as they pull out the the gimp it's like okay this is some some hardcore shit about to go down in the mm-hmm. back of this room yeah like the, both marcellus and and butch are uh they're about to become real friends real close oh, no. if they want to survive right, this right. Yeah, yeah yeah you know as they're gagged you can see them looking at each other like oh shit what did we get ourselves yeah. into fear so unfortunately for Marcellus, he loses the eeny, meeny, miny, mo and gets chosen first. He gets taken into the back room and then the gimp is supposed to be watching Butch, but Butch just, I guess, he, does he just power out of that restraint or does he break the chair somehow? He breaks the chair. Breaks the chair, yeah. Okay. That punch that he threw out the gimp, I would have thrown everything that he was throwing in that boxing fight, dude, I would, it would have been like tenfold for that gimp. Right? Did he strangle him with? I thought he strangled. No, he didn't. I think he him. just punched he him to fucking hell. <laughs> Boom! Just knocks him out. So this, mm. afterwards, he goes upstairs, right? And he's about to leave. He's like, "I'm getting the fuck out of here. I'm done with this." But man, he goes back for Marcellus. That showed some bravery for him and uh, a lot of integrity for Butch because he, even though they didn't like each other and he fucked him over, he's just like. I can't leave him like that, you know, like who knows what they're, what else they're going to do to him. So he's going to grab a weapon before he heads back down and see another comedic moment where he's just grabbing different weapons. So he's like a hammer and a, a fucking chainsaw, <laughs> like all this, all this random shit. And then ultimately he ends up using a katana <laughs> that he finds. <laughs> and uh, I think Eddie, you were mentioning Kill Bill earlier, but mm-hmm. I like to think that this katana is somehow linked to Kill Bill. I I always kind of think of it as like a legit Hattori Hanzo sword from Kill Bill. I mm-hmm. love that idea. I, I, I think that would have been a cool thing. link. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he has back down to the basement and uh, opens the door, and all of his worst nightmares come to life. They're raping Marcellus in the corner. So at this point. Are we just thinking like Butch? Do what you need to do. Take them all out. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Get that. crazy. Swing away. Is that what we're thinking? Signs. Yeah. Swing away. Dude, he's about to get crafty with that katana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is where you just go ham and everything possible. You know, you you don't leave anyone alive. Uh, don't even think about it. Yeah, Marcellus is is probably. Hey, you know, he's right now. Everything that. It was against Butch. Marcellus would probably just wipe that clean. It's like, you know, just take him out of his worst nightmare. Um, mm-hmm. That's in Tana, though. I mean, like, that's where you, you get the idea. It's like, oh, he's about to go ham with his sword. <laughs> <laughs> just because it's like the way he's holding it. And, like, he has that crazed look in his eye. He's just like, you want to grab that gun, don't you? Go ahead. Do it. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> Marcellus is able to kind of gather himself. And he grabs a shotgun. And then he ends up shooting Zed in the dick, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I would not be surprised. Kept him, kept him alive, but overall, I know Marcellus is uh, going to finish him off. He's about to get medieval on that ass. Yeah, it's left to the imagination. What happened to Zed? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Butch is not sticking around to find out. Are we good now? And he's mm-hmm. just like, "Yeah, we're good. Just as long as you never show your face around here ever again." And I think part of it was I don't think he wanted him to stick around to ever talk about this incident. Like he doesn't want anyone else to find out what happened here. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're good. Just 
never fucking come back. Probably one of the scenes that is most hard to watch out of this, out of the, the, these different scenes. This one was just like, oh my god, it's like very one uncomfortable. of those ones that, like, yeah, very uncomfortable. Like I could, I could have dealt without it in the in this movie if I personally had a choice of. I always think of like things that are not necessary. They they were just trying to think of a way for Marcellus to forgive Butch and. It had to be substantial. Yeah, this this probably would do it. Something it almost <laughs> yeah. had to be something that could trump the way that he fucked Marcellus over. So now that they would be even. Yep. And yeah, he takes his chopper, gets the fuck out of there. Well, he he stops by the undisclosed motel to pick up Fabian. And dude, I was I was getting so frustrated with Fabian. I'm like, shut the hell up and just get on the bike, you know. And she's just like. Whose bike is that? Where's my Honda? I don't know. What are we going to do? Like, shut the fuck up and get on the bike. Yeah. Why are you talking so much? <laughs> I just trying to see it from her perspective. You know, she's freaking out. She doesn't understand the severity of the situation. So I, I get it. But, you know, with all this craziness that's going on, literally Butch says it. He's like, this has been quite literally the strangest day of my entire life. <laughs> Probably by far. But um, yeah, she's like, whose bike is this? It's Zed's. Who's Zed? Zed's dead. And the way that he just says it so nonchalantly, too. Mm-hmm. He's dead. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> so now we got the next chapter, the Bonnie situation. And we're back at Brett's apartment from earlier in the film where uh, he gets capped. But now we find out that there's uh, an extra person. I think, is he hiding out in like the bathroom or another bedroom? To the apartment bathroom bathroom i don't know about you guys but when i see this guy he reminds me of jerry seinfeld <laughs> yeah a little bit i can see it. Is, is that jerry seinfeld <laughs> the hell's he doing mm. this movie you know probably much like jerry seinfeld would do if he had a real gun he fucking misses like every shot <laughs> that's funny i always thought I would... he had his one shot hey, yeah he had one job and then you know jules and vincent you know they have that funny moment where they just look around like I didn't get hit. Did you get it? And then, you know, they retaliate at that point. That's when Jules is having that epiphany. And he's, he's saying that it, this was either a miracle or a divine intervention. And so I think that's when he starts contemplating, like it might be time to get out of this business. Right. Right. They get out of there. Uh, of course, with the briefcase, that was a uh, priority number one, but then they take Marvin with them, which I'll, I was always confused by like, who the fuck is Marvin? Yeah. Why not just why not kill him like all like the other guys? Yeah, and then everything would be fine. There'd be no witnesses. But I wonder if mm-hmm. they were thinking maybe like take him back and like ask questions, or maybe it was gonna be one of those situations like tell your friends what happened here so that way no one else will try to double cross him. Yeah, maybe. The conversation it continues in the car. Jules is, you know, he's really thinking about how that was a miracle, they should have been dead, this and that. And so Vincent he looks to the back seat to ask Marvin, like, you know what, Marvin, what do you guys say about all this? Mm. And then for some reason, like he he like rests the gun on the seat as he's looking back at Marvin and accidentally pulls the trigger, blows his head off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Damn. This is another one of those situations like, how the fuck does this even happen? You know, like, what's the likelihood of this happening? Yeah. Especially as often as they've killed people, too. I like how at first... Jules doesn't even know what's going on. He hears the gunshot go off, but he's just like, whoa, I think he's in shock a little bit. The back of his head's all wet. 
and then Vincent's like wiping the blood from his face and he's just like, oh shit, I just killed Marvin. <laughs> mm. Speed bumps, man. That's how it's when you keep your finger off the trigger and speed bumps. Yeah. The fact that he was trying to blame it on like, oh, you must have hit like a pothole or some shit. <laughs> there was no one to blame but him. Like that was all him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And see, this is why I always thought that the Vincent character was like, oh, my God, he's such a dumbass. Because one, he left his gun out and didn't take into the bathroom with him. Plus, also, it's like, why would you take a shit if you're expecting someone to come back? Um, and then two, he shoot he just from like not paying attention and being careless he puts them in another dangerous situation him and jules jules is already thinking about getting out of the business so it's like this is not helping the situation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. jules is the one that kind of has to like pull some resources and get them out of this hole that vincent put them in jules actually knows one guy named jimmy and so they end up hiding the car at his place and uh jimmy is actually played by quentin tarantino himself Mm -hmm. Mm. now i will say that quentin's acting is pretty weak but it's just fun to kind of see him cameo in his own movie yeah i would i would if i had my own movie i'd definitely be in my own movie Hmm. like i'm gonna be in my own movie i'll find the character like you know he had to introduce himself into the acting field and on top of you know his directing performances i think this at this point is like who gives i mean there's so many good characters might as well put him in the movie too yeah he has quite a few lines because he goes on that tangent about like don't tell me how good my coffee is i know how good my coffee is <laughs> i kind of want to try the coffee i'm not even a coffee drinker but shit the way he's talking I'm it curious. Up, i'll try it i'm curious right, that's where they hide the car right at jimmy's house right they're trying to figure yeah. out what to do Mm-hmm. It's just all bloody in the back seat. Oh, like they're fucked. Like what are they gonna do? And so Jules is on the phone with Marcel's. Like, listen, you need to get us out of this situation because we are out of options here. <laughs> and so Marcel's is like, "Don't sweat it. I'm sending the wolf." <laughs> so I, I kind of <laughs> like the fact that there's like this mysterious sounding name for this this character that we haven't met yet, and we're about to find out what the wolf is all about. He's kind of uh, Marcellus's fixer in a way. There's a couple of hilarious scenes here. Yeah, it was like a fake scenario where um, it shows like Jimmy's wife coming home from work and she sees them moving the body, which I thought was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you know, they show Winston Wolf, the wolf, trying to figure out like what he's going to do. And he's like, oh, OK, so that's 30 minutes away from where I'm at. I'll be there in 10. On top of that. He gets there even earlier. He gets that like nine minutes, 50 seconds or something like that. So he's he's so good that not only does he get there in like a fraction of the time, he's still early. <laughs> Harvey Keitel, badass. Right. Yes, he is. So Winston Wolf shows up and, you know, he's he's a man with a plan. He knows exactly what to do. He's bossing him around. He's like, listen, first off, we're going to have to hide the body in the trunk. You two, Vincent and Jules. Start cleaning the inside as much as you can. Get the pools of blood out of there. We need quilts and shit. We're going to be taking the car to this junkyard. Yeah, it's funny, though. This is technically before the beginning part of the movie, though. So it goes back to the beginning right, part of the movie. Exactly. Yeah, this is one of the earlier scenes. And uh, <laughs> dude, actually, this just reminded me. Um, when you guys hear the term splitting wigs, what does that mean to you? Like if someone got their wig split, what does that mean? I've heard blow back your wig. I, I was listening to Tom Segura's bit 
last night and uh yeah he said blow back this is gonna blow back her wig i haven't heard split though my understanding of it was that you're gonna take someone out right like you're gonna kill them you're gonna like crack their skull open I often kind of like associate with prison but never did i think that it was what my wife thought it was brenda was she was always under the impression that splitting someone's wig she thought it meant ass ripping someone so like spreading their butt cheeks and their ass hair. And oh that's God. the wig part is the ass hair. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought like that meant like raping someone. I was like, no, I think it means like killing someone, like taking them out. Weird. I don't really, I mean, I haven't, I have to think like when was the last time I actually heard that? It's probably splitting someone's wigs. <laughs> now you're going to, you're going to think something different. <laughs> in prison yeah geez <laughs> i mean marcel's got his wig split if that's the case right. <laughs> oh damn <laughs> and then he also he also was able to split someone's wig at the same oh, time oh yeah oh he was he was gonna do it nice and slow mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man but uh getting back to the situation here so i think the, the reason why it reminded me of that is because there's that that moment where they take off all their clothes. You two have been a county and, you know, he gives them like bars of soap and like sprays them down with the hose. Mm-hmm. And the fact that like Brenda still stands by it, like she's just like, yeah, you know, splitting someone's wig, you, you spread their ass cheeks. <laughs> 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 oh, man, she cracks me up. New meaning to the term. Right. Really new meaning. Add that to the Rolodex. So, yeah, they, uh, you know, they clean the car. They do a great job and they take it to that junkyard and was this the uh, girl from snl that you were talking about yeah that's her the redhead that played pat nice yeah so she ends up so this shows another layer to the wolf as well because not only is he like really intelligent and he works well under pressure um he seems pretty suave he seems pretty suave with the ladies and he was able to pull that girl from the junkyard her and i we're, we're just gonna go uh enjoy the rest of our day i don't know what's gonna happen to you guys maybe take a bus you know good luck and so he just ditches them. That's when Vincent and Jules decide, you know what? I'm hungry. Let's go grab some food. And they end up at the diner, which is the same diner from the beginning of the movie. So it all comes full circle. Yep. He bookends it. So great. I think now talking through the movie, doing it nonlinear style definitely adds more to it. Right. Because it's like if you just went in chronological order, the impact wouldn't be the same. Good twist. Dude. What the fuck is up with Vincent? He has to go take a shit again. So he leaves the booth to go to the restroom. And while Jules is out there by himself, that's when the whole stick up happens that, you know, they're grabbing all the patrons wallets and everything. But then Pumpkin sees Jules, you know, trying to like mind his own business and not not be seen. So he walks over there and he's just like, give me your wallet. And then he gets a little ballsy. I, I don't know if he was like trying to prove a point or something to Jules, but he was just like, I need to take that briefcase and Jules is he's protecting it. You know, he's like, no, I'll give you my wallet, but I'm not giving you this briefcase. And he finally shows him what's in the briefcase. But that moment was enough to catch him off guard and turn the tables on him. So he disarms him and then points the gun at pumpkin with the honey bunny. It's freaking the fuck out. She's pointing her gun at him. And then Jules is pointing his gun at Ringo as he calls him. Giving them a good lecture too. That's when, like, that's when Samuel Jackson's like, really like, listen, motherfucker, I've had a long day, and now Ringo's also having a rough day. 
but he brought it on himself. He was kind of getting ballsy. He could have just grabbed the wallets and left, but he was like, no, I want, I want what's in the briefcase. I read somewhere where Vincent, every time he went to the restroom, something very, very important happened. <laughs> oh, is that, is that true? I mean, I it seems like it. Yeah, you think about, yeah, one time with Mia, he didn't take a shit, but he went to the restroom, you know, and Mia almost died. Um, you know, true. The other time he he died, and then this time he <laughs> you know his buddy almost died. He came out too late, but luckily he came out just in time. Right. It was cool because he doesn't do his normal spiel. You know, he's not giving him that Bible verse or anything like that. He he's just being real with him. He was telling him that, listen, I've already made the decision to stop doing the shit that I've been doing, but you guys are making it really hard for me to do that. <laughs> And I don't want to have to kill you guys, so don't make me. That's basically what he's telling him. Yep. Take the money. I don't give a fuck about the money. Leave the briefcase and get the fuck out of here. That's it. You guys, you guys remember what uh, it says on Jules' wallet? Bad motherfucker. Badass motherfucker. Oh, badass motherfucker. Bad motherfucker. I actually knew some people that ordered one. Yeah, you can get those easily on Amazon for like twenty five dollars. Before I saw them on Amazon, I saw some people trying to sell it on like Etsy or something like that. Like they were making their own wallets. Hmm. But yeah, it, this was a kind of a cool way to end the movie because it was it was very chill, you know, like after Pumpkin and Honey Buddy flee with the wallets, then Vincent and Jules, they just kind of like look around and they're like, all right, well, I guess we're done here. And so they just stroll out of there. And then that was the end of the movie because, you know, their next stop would have been that bar or whatever, that strip club that Marcellus and Butch were at. Mm -hmm. But that explains why they're wearing the stupid clothes from earlier in the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just all the clothes is bloody and brains. <laughs> I wonder if they got yeah. all of the brains and stuff and the skull pieces out of Jules's hair because that oh, shit was like in there. Nasty. Oh, man. Well, that is a wrap on Pulp Fiction. If you made it to the end of our podcast, then you successfully made it out of Zed's dungeon. <laughs> That's funny. Any final thoughts or closing comments? No, just a uh, classic. Yeah, this is a cult classic. I mean, this is a movie where, like I was saying, you could, you could watch it and take something different every single time see something new. I mean, just by you explaining it, there's many scenes I probably didn't catch in the very beginning um, that you went over that the whole entrance of uh, with uh, Honey Bunny and Pumpkin. Um, but, you know, I mean, this movie is uh, it's a it's a it's a favorite, but you definitely have to have uh, you have to be in the mood to watch this movie. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy shit going on and you don't want to be watching it in like short spurts like you kind of want to watch it all the way through because i feel like it has the best effect that way mm -hmm. did you guys have any uh favorite chapters in the movie i don't know if i would say that i had a favorite chapter i mean maybe, maybe the maybe vincent vincent and mia vincent and mia yeah mm -hmm. that was a good one for sure yeah i would just i would say the same for me it's vincent and mia that's probably my the most light-hearted one out of the whole chapters um you know, it's it's that one, and at any time Samuel Jackson on screen, I enjoyed his character. Oh, yeah, his every time his he was talking, I enjoyed it. He has a way of commanding your attention. You're so focused on everything that he's saying. His delivery is awesome, and his performance was just great for this. I'm glad that they didn't choose the other guy. So you know the the bartender guy from that strip club. He was originally going to play Jules. And Samuel Jackson was like, no, fuck that. 
he was so adamant about playing that Jules character that he sat Quentin down privately and like that I think that's when he delivered that Bible verse that he memorized. And I think the delivery was so excellent that it just blew Quentin away. And ever since then, Quentin was like, you will never have to audition for any of my movies ever again. You are a shoe in. Mm-hmm. He's definitely a recurring actor for sure. Yes, he is. I think I'm a little bit on the darker side, though. So I, I liked the Butch storyline. Hmm. I was just so fucking enthralled with the story. I was I was on the edge of my seat. I had no idea where it was going next. And I think that's why mm-hmm. I really enjoyed about it. In terms of favorite Quentin Tarantino movies, where does this one rank? Um, I like the Kill Bills, right? So, oh, so good. Yeah, and I'm trying to... True Romance It was always a favorite. Uh, I'm a, I was a big Christian Slater fan growing oh, up. Oh, you were? Um, okay. Oh, yeah. My, my brother was, and he I grew up on Christian Slater movies because of him, <laughs> and I just followed a lot of his movies. Is your brother older or younger? Older. He's older. He's he's five years older than I am. Uh, yeah. So he introduced you to um, a lot of movies? Yeah, he introduced me to a lot of movies in the 80s and the 90s. Um, so, uh, I mean, our one of our things that we used to do is just watch, you know, I mean, we would go to the movies – just him and I together and just we at the time it was easy to movie hop right you can easily you know jump into a new movie so we would watch three movies in the in the day nice you know on a Saturday you know Saturday Sunday just him and I we got dropped off at the movie theater um but so I was a big Christmas later fan I would say True Romance Kill Bills uh, Pulp Fiction is top five because I mean I like Inglorious Bastards that's right that was QT Mm -hmm. And then you have Django. I mean, so it's kind of a mix of those five movies for nice. me. Pulp Fiction, yeah. I, don't, I It would be hard to rank which one I had as my favorite. They're all so good in their different ways, right? From Dust Till Dawn, that's not Quentin Tarantino. That's uh, Robert Rodriguez. Rodriguez? Yeah. yeah. I always get that one confused. I like that movie, actually. Mm-hmm. For me, Pulp Fiction is hands down number one, my favorite Tarantino film. Um, but I think something that would throw a lot of people for a loop is that Death Proof is in my top three for sure. And that is part of the Grindhouse yeah, double yeah. feature with Robert Rodriguez. I just loved Death Proof. It was so much fun to watch. And just the, the whole Grindhouse, because I saw that in theaters. I, I think I've told Michael this already, but I went to go see the Grindhouse double feature with my dad. And so I showed Planet Terror first with like the fake trailers in between and yeah. and then Death Proof after that. And it was so much fun, dude. I had a blast watching it. I can definitely tell the difference between Tarantino and Rodriguez because they have very different styles. And I, I just gravitate more towards Tarantino. And I would probably say like maybe Kill Bill 1 is my number two spot. Yes, Kill Bill 1 was definitely better than 2 oh, in my eyes. So good. I loved it. Not about you, Michael. Yeah, I would say Pulp Fiction is number one in terms of Tarantino films. And then it's a toss up. I don't know. It's hard to say. Kill Bill 1 is it was very impactful for me as when I was in film school. So, yeah, the the, the, the soundtrack, it was just before it became what it what it what it eventually became the Kill Bill. Those two for sure. One two favorite. or two. One, not two. Yeah, the score for Kill Bill. Is it the score? I mean, it, yeah. it was on point. It was. Yeah. Are you guys watching anything lately, film or TV? Huh. I, I was going to... We were talking about Legion, and I was like, oh, I'm tempted to... Uh... So that's next for me. 
supposed to watch Willy the Wonka, the new one. Ooh, um, that just came out, right? Or it's it's about to come out? It's about to come out. And I know, you know, we're supposed to watch it. So that's on the to-do list. And then just regular shows. This, when I, it's All my shows are usually, it's a toss-up between something either myself or uh, my wife would hmm. want to watch. So it just depends on what's the mood for the night. Uh, so you guys kind of trade off on like who gets to choose what to watch for the night? Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, we depends on the mood of if it's an early night, or if it's a late night, then yeah. Nice. Heck yeah. Well, Eddie, thanks for coming on the show with us. Honestly, like it's been a blast having you here and you for having me. I'm so glad that we were able to have you on. Cause I know that it was, it was a lot of uh, scheduling conflicts and everything, but I was willing to do whatever I needed to do. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael and, and, and Eric. Pre- appreciate you guys having me on. Is there anything you'd like to plug before we close up? Oh, hopefully you know, we can do this again and, you know, you jump on uh, my podcast, the movie podcast we have. Three and a half gentlemen. Um, yeah. So it's, if you want to find us on Instagram, we're the gentleman podcast, or you can find us on our website as the gentleman podcast.com. Any listening streams, you can find us, but I mean, we dived into Pulp Fiction, but not as deep as this is. So this was, this was fun to do. So I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Nice. The diff with, with us, we ranked the movie, right? I don't know if, have you ever heard one of our podcasts? Oh yeah, I have. Yeah. So we, so we, we ranked the movie of zero to five zero being a perfect perfect movie five being you got to be blacked out should face drunk <laughs> and then you rate it with the, the amount of drinks you have to you have to finish the movie mm-hmm. um I, I believe this was like a 1.5 so like one and a half so drinks. meaning that you won't you won't need a lot of alcohol to enjoy it you don't need a lot of alcohol to enjoy it no yeah heck yeah, yeah. and um i know that you guys will typically customized drinks for every movie we do so what drink would you yeah. give pulp fiction oh uh this was we had we were between a couple movies this could have been the melt shake there was a there was a drink out there that was called the melt shake um we were between two it was a melt shake and there was another one where i think it was the melt shake um and it was it was good it was i mean you obviously you, you put like strawberry uh, syrup in there and then you mix it with I have to look at it, but, but it was, it was delicious if I remember, oh, yeah. you know, but one of those drinks where you probably have two at most, but you know, it was definitely mitts. <laughs> you, you'll feel something off of it. Yeah, definitely. Affliction Autos is available wherever you get your podcast. New episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, 5 a.m. Pacific. If you enjoy our content, go ahead and give us a like, a thumbs up, and don't forget to subscribe. Thank you for listening and joining Michael, Eddie, and I. This has been Affliction Autos Podcast, Episode 35, Pulp Fiction, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.